All right, guys, let's pray and we'll get started. <laughs> Father in heaven, thank you so much for the opportunity we have to be here. We're so grateful, Father, for, for this body of believers that uh, meets here. We thank you, Father, for uh, for their for their passion, their willingness to serve. and Just so many things are going on here, and it's just wonderful to be a part of. Father, I pray for those who are watching us this morning online. I pray, Father, that you, your hand will be on each one of them. Uh, give them this morning what they need and help us to say the things that are going to bless them and encourage them and lift them up. Thank you again for, for, for this venue, this opportunity we have uh, to touch a, a, a larger group, and we thank you for it. Father, bless us this morning as we worship. Father, we, we pray your blessings upon us as we as we strive to honor and glorify you. Help us to, re, to remember this is not about us. This is about honoring and glorifying you. Help us to do that with the with the kind of enthusiasm that we need and the kind of passion that you de, that you deserve from us. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity. Help us as we study. We pray, Father, that you be with us as we study this morning, that we might learn the things we need to know and then have the courage to apply them to our lives. Father, and we have two that we want to remember, uh, Sue's friend Melinda and, and Juanita. We pray, Father, that you be with both of those individuals. Both of them have health issues, things are going on with them. And I pray, Father, that your hand would be on them. And, and finally, Father, there are things that are going on in this body all the time. There are things that go on in people's lives that, that many times many of us don't even know about. Father, you know the things that are going on here. You know the things that people are struggling with, the things that they have issues with. And I pray, Father, that your hand would be on each one of us. Keep Satan far away from us, Father. Help to hide, make him hide from us, Father, as we, as we strive to minister to those around us, as we strive to be your heart and your hands in this world and beyond. Thank you, Father, for the opportunities. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Come on in, guys. We'll give you a Timothy is a young preacher in Ephesus. Paul has left him there to encourage and lift up, and then he's going to tell him a specific thing that he's left him there for this morning as we study. But, but Paul is, is concerned because of the, of the uh, well, he's, he, because of the undermining work that false teachers have, have brought into that place. He's got a problem there. And this young preacher is going to encourage him twice. He's going to encourage him with two letters. This is the first one. Uh, it'll take us a while to get through them both. Uh, but, you know, we're going to learn the things that we can learn. But remember that, that, that we're dealing with a young preacher, probably in his mid to late 20s, maybe early 30s. And, uh, and, he, is, uh, and he is under the gun. Uh, we're not going to go back and rehash all this. But what Paul is trying to make them understand is God's work is by faith. And, and, and you're going to need to have all the faith in God you can have. And remember, he's writing to Timothy. He's not writing to you and I. This is a personal letter to Timothy. So we can learn things, but don't lose track of that this is not written to you. It's written to Timothy. And he's trying to encourage this young preacher in, a, in, a, in the midst of horrendous problems that he's having, that, that he could have. In fact, the problems are so bad that Paul tells him you need to take care of your health. You need to drink a little wine because to settle your stomach because he's having some real issues with his with his health. So, you know, we're gonna we're gonna start in verse five, uh, and I'm gonna read through about verse seven, and uh, and we'll see if, if how far we get. But there's some things I think we need to learn that we can learn here. All right, 
This is what Paul tells this young preacher. He says in verse 5, he said, and the goal of this command, and, and if you go back to verse 3, he said, he said that, so you may command certain people not to teach false doctrine. That was the charge. That's what he said in there. He said, I command you. He said, here's the command. And he said, this is the this is not just a command, but it's a it's a chart. This is the charge I give you, or the instructions I give you. That's what the word means. He said, I instruct you and charge you to tell them not to teach false doctrine anymore. Okay? And he said, and in verse 5, he said, the goal of this command, the goal of this charge is love. It's love. If you remember, we have talked to you numerous times. I've talked to you. Cole's talked to you. Talked to you numerous times. What was the What was the command that God said that Jesus said was the most important command? Love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. Right? Did not say that? And then He said, and the second is like unto it: love your neighbor as yourself. This sums up the whole law. Sums up the whole law. And when you have this. Everything's possible. Everything in your life is possible when you have this. Come on in, guys. We've got plenty of seats. We're in 1 Timothy chapter 1. We start in verse 5. All right? He said, the goal of this command is love. Now, he said, which comes from, here's something we can learn. The command for, for Timothy was, this is what the ultimate goal is. This is the goal of this command, of this charge, this instruction that you're going to give them. It's, it's love. If they have not, if they don't have love, then nothing they teach them is going to be pertinent to anything. All it's going to do is tear down and destroy. That's all it's going to do. You can take that over into relationships today and here in the church. If we don't have love, if love is not evident in this place, we will not function and we will not be successful in the functions that we do have. Simple. Because, you know, Jesus was very specific in saying that they're going to know you're my disciples. How? By the love you have one for another. If we don't love each other, if we don't first love each other, then there will be no people saying we're disciples. And they, oh, look at those people. They're disciples. We can't call ourselves disciples if we don't love each other. So we need to know what is he going to say here? What is he saying to this young preacher in, in 1 Timothy chapter 1? Look at what he said. He said, the goal of this command is love, verse 5, which comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. All right, now I'm going to stop right there. Here's three, you know, I could preach on this for 40 minutes. All right, we could spend the whole class dealing with this. What does it mean to you when he says, from a pure heart? Tell me what you think that means, from a pure heart. He's going to talk about three things, pure heart, a good conscience, and what else? Sincere. What a, a sincere faith. All right, we're going to look at all three of them. Because he said, this com the, com the, the goal of this command is love. And he, and he says, the goal which comes from, this love's going to come from this. So if we're commanded to have this love, then we better listen to this. Don't you think? We better listen really carefully what he's saying here. Whether it's in our relationships, whether it's in our relationship with our husband or wife, whether it's in our relationship with our children, or whether it's a relationship here with each other. Whatever it may be, if I don't have love, then I'm nothing. Okay? It will not work without that kind of love. That's why you see divorce rates so bad. That's why you see people doing all kinds of ungodly stuff to each other because there's no love. Now, he said, he said the first thing he says is, is that you, it comes from a pure heart. What does a pure heart mean to you? What does that mean? Your, your heart has to be forgiving. Okay. And it has to be uh, okay. uh, caring. Okay. Your character has to be. Your character is your heart. Okay. An undivided heart. An undivided heart. 
Okay. Okay. All right. An honest heart? Is that what you said, Matthew? An honest heart? Okay. What else? Huh? Uh, an, un an unconditional heart? Okay. Anybody else? What do you think it means to have a pure heart? Seeking to do what God wants us to do. Okay. All right. Unbiased Teaching us heart. doing what God tells us to do. Somebody else? Unbiased. An unbiased? I like that mm -hmm. one. Unbiased. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, you understand what that means. Mm -hmm. All right. Pure means all one thing. All right, all one thing. A holy heart. A holy heart. A heart without hypocrisy. Yes. Okay. You hear me? A heart without hypocrisy encompasses everything you guys have said. Hypocrites say one thing and mean another. They say one thing and do another. They say they 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 try to make you think they're this way when they're really not this way. They're this way. That's what a hypocrite does. Hypocrite thinks of only of themselves. That's not what a pure heart does. A pure heart is one that's unbiased. One that's that looks at people and says, "I love you because God made you, not because I love your personality." You may not like my personality. That's fine. Some people don't. Okay. I don't have a problem poking you in the eye. I don't. And if you cover up one, I'll poke you in the other one. I don't have a problem doing that. You know, I think that's my charge here to do that. You've known me a long time, haven't you? Am I any different now than I was before? Not much, huh? You know, I mean, you know, I think that's what he's charged me to do. And and I'm I'm trying to get the same goal. And that's it's for you to, to be able to apply these principles to your life. What does it mean in your life to have a pure heart? In your life, what does it mean? What do I, I want you to say, I need to do this to have a pure heart. What do you think you need? Have compassion for one. Have compassion? Okay. I'm going to read your text, all right? You don't have to turn there. I'll tell you what it is in a minute. We sing a song, okay? And those of you are, are song people, and this is just a half a verse. Create in me a pure heart of God and renew a steadfast spirit within me. You remember that song? Mm -hmm. First thing you need to do is you need to ask God to give it to you. Ask God to help me to have this. Now ask God, say, God, please create in me a clean heart, a pure heart, a heart that is without hypocrisy, that's unbiased. I need to pray because there's a lot out there that Satan's going to try to do to taint your heart. Okay, what's the next? What's the next? A good conscience. Tell me what that means to you. You know, and all of these, you have to ask yourself, if he was writing to me, what does that mean to me? I mean, when there's 40, 50 people in here, I can't, I can't single you out. I don't know what's going on in your life. All I can tell you is, hey, here's a pure heart. This, this is what it means to have a heart without hypocrisy that's clean, unbiased, non, doesn't view people the way the world does. That's a, that's a heart that can start to love. Okay? And then it says one's good conscience. What does that mean? No deceit. Huh? <clears throat> no deceit. No deceit. Okay? A mind that is geared towards God. A mindset that is geared towards God. I look up the word. All right? Uh, mine says a clear conscience. Do what? A clear conscience. A clear conscience. Okay? All right? It, a good, clear conscience. Okay? Mm -hmm. I look up the word conscience. Any of you really know what that means? I'll give you, I'll give you the definition. It's an inner sense of right and wrong in your conduct or morality that moves you to action. Okay? I'll read it to you again. It's an inner sense of, of right and wrong in your conduct or morality moving one to action. 
What motivates you? What motivates you? You know, I'm conscious that I'm motivated from a pure heart. I'm motivated from a place of I want to help you. You know, I want to help you do what's what the right thing is to do. I want to I want to bring God into your life. You know, I think that is morally and ethically right. I think that's a good thing. If you're if you're involved in sin, I want you. I want to help. Hey, don't do this anymore. This is wrong. You don't need to be doing this. You know, because I have a conscience that says this is unethical. This is immoral. This is not right. So if you have a, a clean conscience, a good conscience, you know, I mean. I have a lot of things, and I've talked to you before about this in my past, that uh, that I'm not proud of, and that some of it I can't get past. I can't, I can't forget. I'll never be able to forget the things I've done in my life. Okay, that's just that's just a fact. But I believe every single day that Jesus has washed me clean. I believe every single day that God has forgiven me and forgotten that stuff. Just because I can't forget it doesn't mean He can't forget it. He's forgotten it, and my conscience is clear because I believe that God has forgiven me. I believe that he has washed me clean and that he has set me on a path of righteousness. I believe that with everything I have. So my conscience is clear. Now, do I still have those things that sometimes crop up that Satan tries to use? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I can't get past some of it. Some of it I've done is despicable. Despicable stuff. And I try not to deal with it, but sometimes that stuff comes. It's like when you, you have a memory in your life. You know, we have... You know, there's things that remind me sometimes of my grandchildren, of, of grandchildren I've lost, or, or fi family member, or something. You know, I mean, I know that that uh, that uh, a lady last week had that that experience, and it and it really got to her. It really it emotionally got to her because for the first time she had that some memory had come up in, that from her past, and it was and it was very uh, 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 very unsettling for her. So, but my conscience is clear. You know, I'm, I'm not going to beat myself up that I've done these things. God's already forgiven me. And, I, and I'm still striving every day to forgive myself. Okay? But that's coming from a clean conscience. That's where love comes from. All right? If I can't forgive myself, how am I going to be able to love you? If I can't get past the nonsense that I was involved in, and I can't, I keep beating myself up, how in the world am I ever going to, ever going to translate into love? It won't. It won't. You understand? It won't. I deal with it. I deal with it a lot, and I see that stuff all the time. And people are struggling, struggling. They can't get past their own life, so they can't love their mate. They can't love somebody close to them because they can't get past what they were and what they've done and what those thoughts that Satan will use and still try to bring up. So they can't love. They can't love in a way that God tells them to. All right. Now look at the last one, and then and then a sincere faith. Tell me, uh, what does it mean for you to have a sincere faith? What does that mean? A sincere faith. A real faith, not a, not a, not nothing that's okay. true. A true, right. it's not a lying faith. Okay, not a lying faith. It's a true faith, a real faith. Real right. faith. Anybody else? What do you think it means to have a sincere faith? Faith based on what Jesus I've learned from him. Okay, something I've, I've learned from Jesus, what I've learned from him. I put a, I put a note down here, uh, without a mask. Without a mask. You know, I think I think so many times we have faith one way here and another way at home. You see one thing here that you don't see outside of here. Our faith has to be sincere. It has to be real all the time. It has to be the same everywhere. Whether you're at the grocery store, whether you're at the car dealership, or whether you're at home dealing with your children, it has to be the same all the time. And so many times it's not, isn't it? 
Sometimes we put a mask on when we walk in this place. We put a Sunday go to meeting stuff on, and then we and before we walk out the door, we put a mask on. Right? I need to see some head nodding because I know what I'm telling you is true. Alright? We put a mask on. Because I can't allow you to see the reality. I can't allow you to see what's really real in my life. Maybe what I'm struggling, maybe what God is helping me to struggle with, but I don't want you to see it. So a sincere faith is one that's without the mask. Takes the mask off. No hypocrisy like the other one was. No hypocrisy. It's just real. This is who I am. You know, I don't have a problem telling you that this is who I was. This is what, you know, people told me. He said, well, I didn't want, didn't want my kids to know. Man, I wanted my kids to know. I wanted them to know because I wanted them not to ever do this stuff. I wanted them to know what it's going to cost, how bad it is, and how bad it can be, and what and what the dangers are of it. So I never hid it from them. I didn't want it. So, you know, I mean, you know what what I want what you see here is what I am at home. This I'm not any different. Not it's not a mask that I put. That's what sincere faith is. That's where love comes from. That's what Paul tells him. Look at what he says again. The goal of this is command is love, which comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Okay? If we have those things, then we can start to develop that true love that God is talking about. A love that where we look at each other and say, I'm not going to look at you from a biased perspective. I'm not going to look at you from a racial perspective. I'm not going to look at you from, from a past perspective. I'm going to look at you that you are God's creation, and I'm going to love you. Period. Okay? And look at what he says next. He said, Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. Now, I'm going to stop right here. All right? You don't understand what the law is? You understand what it is? Do you have any idea what he's talking about about the law? The Ten Commandments, what? The Old Covenant. The old covenant. At Sinai, at the mountain when they come out of Egypt, they're three months into this journey. Three months. And Moses goes up on the mountain because God's called him up there. So he goes up on the mountain. He stays there a long time. And, and God is handwriting the law for him. Okay? Handwriting it. He's handwriting the first ten laws, what he has. And he, uh, and when he comes down, what's happened is, is Aaron and the people have decided he's been too long, and so they build a calf. And then their argument is, Aaron's argument is, well, we threw this gold in the fire and this calf jumped out. <laughs> That's what he said. The law is the, is the ordinances that God gives to that nation of people. And you know what he tells them? He said, I'm going to give you this because I'm going to have you journey through a hostile land. There's going to be a lot of upheaval there. And people are going to do a lot of stuff there. And you need to know what's acceptable for my people, what you need to do. And that law was given over a span of, of months, right? maybe even a year. And the law was changing. As they, as they went through this trek, it changed. There was things that changed. When Jesus came on the scene and talked to them about, about divorce, the law, you heard Moses say this, and he said, I'm telling you, this is what it is. Jesus was, was adapting and changing the law as he, was, as he was living his life. And these people take this law, and they want to bind this law, this covenant that was given to the nation of Israel at, at Sinai for the purpose of keeping them pure and holy so that they would so they could serve a holy God. He said, I want you to be unique, 
and distinct from the other people. They worship what they can't see. They, wor they worship what they, what they make with their hands. He said, you're going to worship me. And he said, I'm going to make you holy. And you're going to worship me because I'm holy. And he said, the only reason I'm saving you is because I'm holy. That's what he told them. And so when you, when you see this law, these people were coming in after Paul and trying to enforce this covenant relationship that was given to the, that nation of Israel back then and trying to enforce that upon them. And he said, he started talking about genealogies and, and mytho mythology and all that stuff. He said, meaningless talk that doesn't amount to nothing. And they've shipwrecked their faith. What, he said, he said uh, but they do not know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. You know, these people, I wrote a note down here, you cannot teach what you don't know. And these people didn't have a clue what they were talking about. And I want to take you to, I want to take you to two texts, all right? These I want you to turn to. I want you to turn to, to uh, I tell you what, first I'm going to read through this, and then we're going to go to these texts. Look at, start in verse 8. We know that the law is good. We knew that the law was good. If one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and the sinful, the unholy and the religious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those who practice homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and from whatever else is contrary to the, to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel con concerning the glory of the blessed God which he entrusted to me. Okay? It's a mouthful, isn't it? So the, the main thing is the law was good if you use it right. It was, it was designed for what? For this here. Now, I want to take you to two texts. All right. First, we're going to go to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Verse 19. We're going to read 19 and 20. This is what he says. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Okay? So what was the, what was the result of the law here in this text? We became conscious of sin. They didn't know what it was that it, that it was not okay to do this or this until God told them it was not okay. Adam and Eve did not know they couldn't eat of the fruit of that tree until God told them not to eat of it, right? And once he told them not to eat of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, what, 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 what charge they have now? To not eat the fruit of that tree, right? When, when, Cain, when, when Cain kills Abel, all right? And, he's, and God comes to them. He said, where's your brother? He said, I don't know. What, am I my brother's keeper? He's not my brother's keeper. And he said, why'd you do such a thing? Why'd you do this? And he, and he has no excuse. And he said, don't you know his blood is calling from the ground? You've killed him. He said, don't you know if you've done what is right, I would have accepted you. So what do we know from that phrase? He didn't do what God had told him. He wouldn't know what the right thing is to do because God had to tell him what it was. Just because we don't have it written down don't mean that God didn't tell him. You can infer from that text that God told them what to do, just like he's told us what to do, just like he told them what to do through the law. And he said, he said here in Romans chapter 3, he said that we become conscious of our sin through the law. Now, here's another one. Now, I want you to go to Galatians chapter 3. Look at Galatians chapter 3. 
Oh man, there's so much to read here. Yeah. Uh, let's just start verse 23. Before the coming of this faith, now he's talking about the faith in Christ. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, held in bondage under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. When was that? When Jesus rose from the dead and revealed the faith in him that could save men from their sins. All right? That's what he's talking about. Until that faith was revealed, he said we were held in, we were held, we uh, lost it. We, would, uh, we were locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. <clears throat> now, any of you have something different than guardian there? Mine says. Schoolmaster. I like that. That's the one I like. Tutor. Tutor and disciplinarian. And disciplinarian. I don't really like guardian. I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't think it's a good translation. All right. What is better is schoolmaster. He was our schoolmaster. So teaching us that this faith is coming, and when it comes, you will have no longer need for this. You will have no longer need for me. Or a tutor to bring us. Look at what it says. Look at what it says again. Galatians chapter three. It said. Uh, so the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now, when Paul's writing to Timothy, has Jesus already come? Had the law made them aware of their sin? Yes, that's what it was for. Has it taught them about the faith that was to come in Christ? Yes. And you have teachers out there teaching what? Oh, no, 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 you all understand. We, don't, we, we can't abolish the law because that's still important. We still have to have that then that negates what the law said about itself. Okay? That's why this is so important that you get this, that you understand that this was this this law, this covenant, was for them to teach them about sin because they were going to go on a journey that was going to end up lasting 40 years before they got to the promised land. A lot of them are going to die. Most of them are going to die before they get there because they would not do what God told them to do. If you go to Leviticus, you go to Deuteronomy, it tells them, here's, a, here's what happens when you do good, and here's what happens when you don't. And he said, and in Deuteronomy, he said, now choose life. I want you to live. That means you have to be obedient. You have to do what I told you. And he said, and I'll make provision for you when you don't. I'll, you'll sacrifice this animal, this animal. That's what the law was full of. And it was to bring them to what? To the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus. Here these people are in Ephesus. They've been brought to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. The blood of animals couldn't do it. Hebrews chapter 10 says the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. Can't. The blood of Jesus can. He can take away sin. Okay? That's what happens to us, you know, when we come to him on his terms and are baptized into Christ. That's what happens. You know, we come in contact with that blood. Not literally, physically, figuratively, spiritually. We come in contact with what can save our lives. And wash us clean. That's what Ananias told Paul. That's what uh, that's what Philip told the Ethiopian eunuch. You go on and on and on. That's what uh, what uh, Paul told the Philippian jailer. That's why him and his whole family were baptized. That's what it was about. It was about the law bringing us to the saving grace of the faith in Christ. And what happens to the law once it, that's done? Go. What did Jesus say on the cross? It's finished. It's finished. It's done. It's over. That's why he said it's finished. I am, I am here to finish the law. It has brought you to me. 
And so he has these teachers, these false teachers, bring and say, oh, no, 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 you got to do more. We gotta, you can't just do what y'all are doing. You've got to apply some of these principles to your life. They've already said no. And look at what Paul tells them. He said, he said no. He said, if this is, was for these people, for, for whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel, sound doctrine conforms to the gospel that, that glorifies God. You know, we've talked about this before, what the gospel is. The gospel is the whole scenario of the saving message of God. Yes, it includes the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But what about the beginning when everything was done in Hebrews chapter 4? It says, oh, God's work was done, finished. He finished it. It's over. Is that not part of the gospel? Then how could, how could Abraham be declared, have the gospel declared to him back 2,000, 4,000 years before Jesus comes on the scene? If the gospel is, he was... He was, he was being told that the, that the saving message of God is the gospel. It's the good news. Part of it is that I have to be obedient to that gospel. I have to be obedient to that saving faith. I have to be obedient. Otherwise, I'm, a, I'm, I'm bound under the law. It means I'm a lawbreaker, and I will die. Because he says the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death, what he said. So if sin isn't removed, then death comes. It did for Adam and Eve, okay? Didn't it? He said, the day you eat that fruit, you will die. Now, they're looking at it, well, I didn't, I didn't drop over dead, yeah. but they died spiritually because God cut them off from him. It, it was true for Cain. He said, I will not be able to survive. And so God marks him so nobody would kill him. And he has to go wander around in the wilderness because he killed his, because he killed his brother. There are consequences to sin. Okay? And the ultimate consequence is death. We will die. Spiritually. That means being separated from God for eternity. That's not a happy thought, is it? That's why we love. Because we, what we want to do is I want to share with everyone. I want to share with everyone that this message is for you. This message is, is not just for, you know, you know middle-aged white guys. It's for everybody. God wants everyone to come to repentance, what he said. And so he said, he said that you know, only teaching doctrine that is conforms to the gospel that gives glory to God. That's why you have to ask yourself, who am I listening to? If I'm listening to Dan, or if I'm listening to Cole, or I'm listening to somebody on the radio, am I listening to somebody that his message is conforming to the glory of the gospel of Christ? If it's not, then don't walk, run, run away. Okay. Now look at what he said. Look at what he says in verse in verse eleven. With, that conforms the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. Now, I got a couple of, uh, uh, let me see where I wrote them down. Well, I didn't write them down. How, how do you, I want, let me, I'm going to finish reading this. We don't have a lot of time. We're going to come back and do this some more next week, but I'm just, I want to read it. I want, I want you to listen to what he said. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. How does Paul view himself? Huh? Bad. It was bad. You know, he, he, tells, he tells, when we were studying starting Galatians, I, I said, you know, this kind of comes up with Galatians. And I said, there are two times when, when people said, that's a bad man, Ananias. When God, when Jesus goes to Ananias and said, "I want you to go talk to this guy," he said, "I got a guy over here that's, that needs to hear about you." He's the man over there. That guy's a killer. 
not going to go over there. No. He said, yes, you are. Yeah, you are. Because I've got a plan for him. And he's going to take the message of, of my message to, to the Gentile world. And then there was other people that said, said, we know what this guy was like. This guy was a killer. This guy was brutal. And he said here, he said, God entrusted this to me. And I don't understand why. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I want to ask you, why do we sometimes think that God could never love or accept us? Because <laughs> of bad things we've done? Guilty conscience. Guilty conscience. You hear that? Guilty conscience. What did he say we're supposed to have to have love? A good conscience. Not a guilty conscience, a good conscience. How did that work? So I start I start to accept what God's done for me. Doesn't mean I'm perfect, guys. Paul said, he said, I'm the cheapest of sinners. I'm the worst of the worst. That's <laughs> what he said. But he's but he telling here, he said, God entrusted this to me. And my question, I, I can't, why do we sometimes think that God could never love or accept us? Because we can't accept ourselves. Huh? We can't accept ourselves. Well, because we can't, that's good. Because we can't accept ourselves. We get to a point before we, where we, Satan is going to do everything he can do, okay, to try to undermine what you're doing. You know, you believe that's true? I absolutely believe it's true. I've seen it happen all the time. Mental torture. Yeah, and he will and he will make you start thinking about the path and saying, see, you're not as good as that person over there because that person does this. And you know what we do? We buy it. We buy it. And you know, we say, you're right. He's right. And God's saying, no, he's not right. And who do we listen to? We listen to him. We listen to Satan. And he's going to lie to us. He says a master of light. He's a praise round, an angel of light, is what it said. He's a master manipulator, a master liar. And we buy it. We listen to some knucklehead on TV saying we're going to be blessed and holy if we give a thousand dollars, and then we say, "Oh, I'm not going to do that." You know, I watched some. I watched somebody with a guilty conscience yesterday because she couldn't. She couldn't do something that she needed to do or wanted to do, and because certain things were going on, she couldn't go. And it was. And it was killing her. What? It was killing you, wasn't it? Because I gave my word. Huh? Because I gave my word. Because she felt like she'd given her word. You know, and. You know, when we when when Satan uses that stuff to undermine us and make us start to doubt ourselves and make us feel feel incomplete within ourselves, Jesus came to complete us. All right? He came to give us life and give it to us abundantly, is what John 10 10 said. Didn't mean he's gonna give you health and wealth. That's not what it means. It means he's gonna give me abundant life. He's gonna make give help me be free from this nonsense of what Satan's in. Say, so don't believe him. Believe what Jesus said. And Paul said. Man, he said, and if you go to Romans chapter 7, Romans chapter 7, Paul says, man, the things I want to do, I cannot do. This is an apostle. He said, the things I want to do, I cannot do. Things I don't want to do are the things I do. What a wretched man am I. That's what he says. I'm a wretched man. He said, who will rescue me from this body of sin and death? Because he realizes that his body is a sinful mess. Every single day. Right? Nod your heads, guys. The sinful mess every single day, isn't it? It is. You know, maybe not today as bad as yesterday, but tomorrow may be worse than today. Right? And we're trying. We're struggling. We're trying to get, we're trying to put one foot in front of the other. We're trying to get better. But sometimes it seems like you take two steps forward and three steps back, doesn't it? Doesn't it seem like that sometimes? It does. I don't care how long you've been at this. Hey, I have the same problem. And and he said, and he said, in chapter 7 of Romans, he said, what a wretched man, who will rescue me? And he said, in chapter 8, verse 1, 
he said, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know what no condemnation means? It means found not guilty. Doesn't mean you're found innocent. You can be guilty and be found innocent. It means you're found not guilty. It means you didn't do it. Dude, God, come over here. I want you to look in the mirror with me. Are we talking about the same clown? Because I know that guy's guilty. I know what he's done. And he said, quit worrying about it. Quit thinking about it. Quit pondering on it. Move forward. Don't do it again. Don't go that way again. Don't live that life again. Live forever towards him. And these teachers were not teaching that. And Paul said, that's what's been entrusted to me. We're going to look at this some more next week. You know, I'm, 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 a, I'm going to get I'm going to get through here. Uh, you know, y'all are right. We're going to probably take us a year to get to first activity. I think there's so much here, so much to learn, so much that we need to learn that I'm going to keep doing it. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week.